All right, so we are looking at covenants still. Uh, we are all done looking at the Abrahamic covenant for now. I'm sure that we will dip back and uh, take a couple of glances back at that covenant here on out, but today we're going to be starting the Davidic covenant. But before we do that, it's review time. It's pop quiz time. What is a covenant? All right. Promise? Anything else? What can we add to that? There are lots of promises in Scripture, so that's part of it. Binding contract? Okay. All right, so we're, we're getting there. Binding contract and agreement. We had a, a two-word summary, both starting with the letter O. What was our two-word summary of a covenant? I hear some papers wrestling, people checking notes. All right, I'll help you out a little bit. The first one is an oath. Oath what? Anybody there yet? You got it. Oath obligations. Good job. So, oath obligations. That's how we're summarizing a covenant. So, yes, it has a, an aspect of a promise of an agreement between two parties. But, as I said, there are many promises throughout Scripture. And just because God makes a, a promise or somebody in Scripture makes a promise doesn't necessarily make it a covenant. So, a covenant is kind of a, a next stage promise that has an, an obligation that goes along with it, an oath, where there are certain aspects set out that this is what God promises he's going to do. These are the, um, the, the standards, what is laid out in this covenant, in this oath agreement. And I've drawn a, a little timeline up here for um, these major characters, major events in Scripture, starting with Adam and working our way over to the, the new covenant. Where do we read about the covenant that God made with Adam? Hmm. We read about Adam in Genesis. Was that you who said no? <laughs> uh, why do you say no, James? Huh? You were right when you said no. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we do read about Adam in Genesis. You're right. And we do read um, that there are certain stipulations that God's make, God makes with Adam, where he tells him, you cannot eat from this tree. Uh, you can go freely about this garden, but you can't eat from this tree. But we don't see any oath obligation made with Adam. God doesn't make a, a covenant with Adam in the same way that we see God making covenants later on. And so it's, again, important to, to realize the difference between a covenant and uh, God setting out expectations or God saying that he's going to do something. Those things don't necessarily make something a covenant. What about with Abraham? Where do we read about the covenant that God made with Abraham? I'm, I'm done tricking you. Yes, Genesis. Good job. We're at in, in Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 12. And then also in 15, get a little bit in 17. 22. So 12 is where it, it starts off, and he makes this covenant with 
or introduces this covenant with Abram at that point. In chapter 15, that's where we see the, the blazing furnace or the, the fiery oven. And God alone goes through the covenant or goes through the, the animals to make the covenant. So it is an unconditional covenant. It's not dependent upon Abraham and anything that Abraham does. God is saying, I'm going to do this for you. And, and that's it. It's settled. Uh, we'll dip into 17 here a little bit. Uh, 21 is when Isaac is born. 22, we see the, the offering of Isaac and uh, a revisit of that covenant that God made with Abraham. And he, will, he continues that, as we've seen in recent weeks, and reiterates that covenant with uh, Isaac and Jacob and on down the line as well. What are the, the aspects, the three different aspects that we talked about with the Abrahamic covenant? All right, so we have uh, descendants, right, or the seed. And what else did we say? Land, all right, and blessing. Good. So descendants, seed, and blessing. We talked about those for several weeks. Those are the three different aspects of the Abrahamic covenant. You can break that down, um, what God promised Abraham, that he would have a, a plethora of descendants, right? How many would he have? innumerable, right? As many as the sand of the seashore or the, the stars in the sky and the land. He had a very specific portion of land that God promised him in Israel, uh, greater than the, the borders of Israel that we know today. And then blessing. Who would be blessed? The world, right? So it goes beyond Abraham that everybody would be blessed. All the nations would be blessed as a result of his seed, his descendant. Yes. Yep. The, the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God made with Abram is unconditional, but there's a, a condition to that aspect of the blessing. So yes, we're not universalists. We don't believe that everybody is going to be blessed by Christ, but that those who um, are in a, a similar type of relationship, covenant relationship with God will be blessed. All right. We're skipping over the Mosaic Covenant. We'll touch on it a little bit here and there. Anybody know where you can find the Mosaic Covenant? Exodus. Exodus. All right, good. We'll go Exodus 19 and 20. You can read about the, the Ten Commandments, right? And you get the Ten Commandments reiterated in Deuteronomy 5, and they're reading again in Deuteronomy 10. But if you want to study the Mosaic Covenant, Exodus 19 will be the, a good branching off point, good launching off point rather for you to go to. And we'll come back to the, the Davidic covenant. Um, anybody know off, offhand the, the go-to chapter, I guess, for the Davidic covenant? Hopefully you will after tonight. What's that? All right. After tonight, we should know. All right. And then later on, we're going to get into the, the new covenant and we're not going to get there today, but, um, That'll be in Ezekiel 36 and 37. Um, am I saying Isaiah? Not Isaiah. What am I doing? <laughs> yes, I did say Ezekiel. Um, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, we're going to go there eventually. Uh, 30 and, and 31, 32, but especially 31. And then Hebrews 8. 
Those are going to be our, our go-to places for the, the new covenant when we get there. But we're not quite there yet. We did talk last week about how the new covenant is particularly focusing on one of these aspects of the Abrahamic covenant. Do you remember which one? Is the new covenant primarily talking about Abraham's descendants and seed, or the land, or the blessing? The blessing. Good job. Yes, but the new covenant will encompass all those. But yeah, when we look at the, the New Testament and the new covenant primarily, it is dealing with the, the blessing. Um, however, all of them are going to be included. Um, Mosaic will deal primarily with the descendants and the seed. Or, sorry, <laughs> with the, the land deals with the Mosaic. And descendants and seed, we'll see, deals primarily with or is handled primarily, I guess, with the Davidic covenant. However, there's a, a lot of crossover, and we can't make sharp distinctions there. But generally, we can see those three aspects of the Abrahamic covenant um, broken up for these other covenants. That kind of helps me in thinking those things through a little bit. All right. Um, I am having a hard time taking my jacket off right now. <laughs> Getting all tangled up. Okay. So we're going to work our way up to Second uh, Samuel. You say something, Brittany? Yes, that's true. All right, Second Samuel 7. Yeah, close. You might think that my 7 looks like a 3, but Second uh, Samuel 7 is where we're going to make our way to eventually. But before we get there, I should grab my Bible. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 17 together. So Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to revisit this Abrahamic covenant. And will somebody read for us the first eight verses of Genesis 17? Yes, please. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting position, and I will be their God. Amen. All right, so we see several things in that, several things we've already looked at. We see the, the promise for the, um, that he would be a multitude of nations. We see that... Um, the descendants would come after him, and the land of the sojourning would belong to those descendants. What specifically do we see that might pertain to the Davidic covenant in verse 6? Kings will come for you, come forth from you. And so that's kind of a, 
a glance forward to what we're going to be looking at in the Davidic covenant that we see King David, right? If you haven't caught on by now, the Davidic covenant is centered around King David. And all the way back here in Genesis 17, as a part of this Abrahamic covenant, God is promising not only are you going to have a bunch of people that are going to come from you, nations that are going to come forth from you, but you're going to have kings who will come forth from you. Let's jump forward in Genesis to Genesis chapter 49. And we'll see this, um, this lineage, this genealogy narrowed down a little bit. In Genesis 49 and verse 10, it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So it's narrowed down, not just from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, but now even to one of the 12 tribes down to Judah, that this is where the king shall come from. Now let's jump forward once again into Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And when you guys get there, could I get somebody to read verses 14 through 20? And yeah, we'll just do 14 through 20. Thank you. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law in these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. All right, so remembering where we're reading from, from Deuteronomy, from the law, written uh, 1400-ish, and remember David doesn't take place until about 1000 B.C. Um, This is far before Israel even has kings. So this is just a a preparation that's provided in the law. When you have kings, you you will have kings one day, and uh, this is how a king is to to operate. What in that passage did uh, the text say a king was supposed to do? What is he positively to be doing as a, a king of Israel in those last few verses there? Say it again. Uh, he's supposed to, to write down the commandments. Yeah, so he himself, he's supposed to take the, the law and he's supposed to write it out and have it checked by the priest to make sure that he's not skipping over stuff or leaving stuff out. And he's supposed to keep that with him so that he can abide by it, so that he can keep 
track of it, and he can do what he's supposed to be doing as the king of Israel, as he's leading his people. Now, in verses 16 and 17, there are a few uh, prohibitions, things that he's not supposed to be doing. What are the things in 16 and 17 that a king of Israel is not to do? All right, I heard, I heard not have many wives, right? That's in there. What else? Yeah. <laughs> yes, not to acquire horses, right? Well, the, the significance there really is kind of pointing to the, the hope that a king might put in his horses, in his chariots, in his own military prowess rather than trusting in God and what God can do for him. And then there's a, a third uh, prohibition in there. What is that one? Yeah, you shall not uh, greatly increase silver and gold. So that's not really going to be as pertinent to our lesson tonight, but next week it's going to come into play a little bit. So keep those things in mind that this passage in Deuteronomy, looking forward to the future kings of Israel, says you guys need to be careful. You need to, first of all, keep the law proactively. Make sure that you have a copy of it and you're following the law. But Watch out for those women, right? Don't be going out there and, and getting a bunch of wives. Don't be collecting all this military power, putting your hope in yourself rather than in God who's to lead you. And uh, be careful with that money too. Don't be acquiring all the silver and gold. Again, putting your, your trust in this wealth. So hold on to that a little bit for, for next week. Um, just kind of summarizing, walking our, our way up to 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 7. Um, eventually, Israel does ask for a king. Remember, up until this point, they didn't have a king. But in 1 Samuel 8, they say, you know what, we want to be like these other nations around us. Let's have a king. And God warns them, you don't want a king because a king's going to come in, he's going to put his thumb over you, and he's going to rule over you and uh, take taxes from you and tell you what to do, and, and you're not going to like it. And they said, no, we want a king. So God gives them a king. In 1 Samuel 10, Saul becomes king. He's anointed as king. Um, shortly after that, David is anointed as king in chapter 16, same book. But it takes a little while for him to actually come to the throne, remember? And when we get to, to 2 Samuel, in chapter 2, he becomes king over Judah. And chapter 5 is when he finally becomes king over all of Israel. And he is anointed as king. He's up there and, and ruling his, his nation. But then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 7. That's our, our target passage for today talking about the Davidic covenant. So let's make our way to 2 Samuel 7, if you're not there already. And I'll start reading in verse 1. We're going to set the stage here a little bit and get some background information. <clears throat> so it says, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all of his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with the, all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, 
Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. So just stopping right there and looking at those first uh, seven or eight verses or so, we see that David had a, a desire in his heart to build God a temple. And we might think, well, that's a, a good thing. David wants to build a house for God. Um, it kind of seems like maybe God's not too happy with that, though. Like he um, kind of bites back a little bit and says, well, I never asked you to, to build me a house. I never asked you to, to build me a temple. Uh, reminds me of Psalm 50, verse 12, where God says, uh, you know, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you for food because I own everything. I have the, the cattle on a thousand hills and I don't come to you if I need something. Um, he says that I, I never asked you for a temple. And then uh, going on, we're going to see that um, God is going to kind of flip the script a little bit on David. In this whole section, we see this word house, which David used himself saying, well, I have this house and I want to build a house for the Lord. This house is used, or this word house rather, is used 15 times in this whole section. And so we're going to see a little bit of play on that word. Um, and so also, did you notice that they're speaking through, through Nathan? Uh, they don't have this direct type of communication like uh, we saw on Sunday that, that Moses had, or like we have today under the New Covenant. Um, they're doing all this through Nathan the prophet, which just makes me really thankful that we have a, a high priest in, in Jesus. So we have a, a mediator that uh, we don't have to go and find like Nathan or some other prophet. All right, well, um, that last section that I read was... Um, the end of verse 8 and verse 9, we see that God is kind of, even before he really gets into the, the covenant, he's reminding David of what he's already done for him and how he's already proved himself faithful. So it says, the end of verse 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people. Notice that he's talking about how David took and ruled over God's people. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. So God just kind of set in the stage, I've already done this for you. I've taken you, you are a shepherd and now you're leading my people and uh, you're, you're the king of Israel. Not just of, of Judah like back in chapter 2 but now he's a king over all of Israel. And then um, we see that um, God is going to, as I said, flip the script on David here a little bit. So starting in verse 10, I'm going to read through verse 15. And while I'm doing that, I want you guys to pay attention to uh, who God is speaking to and what we see in these verses that really start to make up the, the Davidic covenant. So starting in verse 10, God says, I will also after saying that he will make his name great, verse 10, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that 
I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, for as I took it away from Saul, whom I received from before you, whom I removed from before you. I can't read tonight. All right, so uh, in those verses, who is it that God is talking to? Really easy one, right? David, right? And what do we see um, in those verses? How would you summarize some of the things that God is saying to David in those verses? Amen. Yeah, he's going to establish them, right? And he's going to uh, protect them from their enemies. Good. Other things we see in that passage? Yeah, similar to what we saw with Abraham, right? This promise of descendants or a seed. And that kind of carries on with, with David as well. Yes, good. Yeah, the Holy Spirit left Saul, right? And um, he says, no, I'm, I'm not going not gonna to be doing that to you. I'm not going to remove my steadfast love for, from you. Uh, and a couple times in this passage, we see words like forever at the end of verse 13, right? Well, if we look down and just go one more verse, in verse 16, we get kind of a, a summary of what we've already looked at in the verses above. In verse 16, it says, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So here we see three different aspects of the Davidic covenant. So his house will be established, right? And what does it say after house? His kingdom. And then what's the, the last aspect that we see here? Throne. So his house, kingdom. I did forget my R. You're right. <laughs> yeah, not, not his throne, his throne. And those are forever promises, right? That God will establish his house, that his house will endure forever, his kingdom will endure forever, and that David's throne shall be established forever. Let's go back at, in what we already looked at and um, see how those three aspects fit into what we were looking at back in um, 9 through 11. So back in chapter nine, or verse 9, rather, Remember, he said that I will make you a great name. So there he's talking about his house. So when we're talking about house, we should understand that as David's dynasty, that he's going to have this dynasty that, um, as you mentioned, Greg, he's going to have descendants that go on from him. It's not just going to be David and, and stop with David, but he's going to have people who continue. So it says that I will make your name great. Uh, down at the, the end of verse 11, he says, I will make you I will give you rest from your enemies. 
the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. So remember, this all started off with David saying, you know what, I live in this nice cedar house. I want to build a house for God. He's living in this tent. And God says, no, I don't want your house. I want to make you a house. I want to make you this, this dynasty that's going to continue just even beyond what your house is going to endure. I want to give you this house that's going to last forever. And then um, we can look at verse 10 and we can see an aspect of the, the kingdom and how God wants to not only give David this house, but even more than that, he wants to give him an eternal kingdom. It says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Now, Israel has gone through all kinds of stuff up until this point, right? They've had people coming in and taking their land. And even since then, we see that just continue. That, that little phrase there, a place that is their own, not to be disturbed again. Is that the Israel that we know today? Not, not even close, right? Not yet. But God has made this promise. It says, Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Again, hasn't happened yet. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel. That's still not taking place yet. So God has promised a, a house for David himself. He's going to have a dynasty, a kingdom. And what kingdom is that? What nation? Israel, right? They're going to... Uh, be in peace forever. And then the last aspect was the throne, right? And we see that uh, back up in 13. It says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, we're seeing that word forever over and over again, that all these things are taking place uh, repeatedly. So he's going to have descendants who will rule, and not only are they going to uh, rule, but they're going to have authority to to rule and to, to exercise that authority over the, the kingdom. And um, we see that it's just kind of progressing, right? That he has this, this house, this dynasty, and grows into this kingdom, and this kingdom um, is going to lead to a throne that allows for uh, absolute forever rule and authority. Well, let's keep... Um, looking, well, actually going back to verse 13, where he says that he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We have to kind of be a little bit careful at this point because uh, especially those of us who, who know our Bibles kind of well, talking about the, the kingdom that's going to be established and how he's going to, to raise up a son. I think for those of us who've been in church for a while, our, our minds immediately go to that's talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is in view here. Well, we have to remember that um, when we're dealing with prophecies, many prophecies have a, a kind of dual fulfillment, right? And um, we can see both a... I should grab red and try to fit this in up here. We can see that there's a, a near fulfillment and a, a far fulfillment oftentimes when we're dealing with scripture. And so it's not bad that we are making those connections in our mind and saying, okay, well, this is talking about Jesus. But we have to be careful because if we just carry on in, in verse 14, it says, I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. Okay, we're, we're doing all right. But then it says, when he commits iniquity, 
And we have to say, oh, wait, that's, that's not talking about Jesus, right? Because Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't commit iniquity. It says, when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. So who is in view here? Solomon, right? Yep. And there certainly is an aspect where Jesus is in view. And we get that in the, the far fulfillment. There's a, the near and the far. Um, we can see this, I think, most clearly in Isaiah 14, where it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And if you just go a, a few verses later at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 8, you can see that there's actually a, a child that's born to Isaiah. Uh, well, maybe to Isaiah. It's not quite clear. But there's a, a near fulfillment for that verse. But we know that as one of the great Christmas verses, right? Because we know it's ultimately and it's far fulfillment fulfilled in Christ. So we need to be careful of that. There's both near and far fulfillments. Yeah. Did I quote something else? 9-6. Oh. Yes. The other Christmas verse. Yes. Thank you. Because there's no one else that we're calling Mighty God. No, no, there's not. <laughs> yes. Uh, 7-14 is fulfilled uh, nearly in Isaiah 8-3. And then it goes on in, in Matthew one twenty three. It's connected with Jesus. All right. That's quite a bit so far. Any thoughts or questions up to this point? All right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if I can write that much smaller. All right. Oh, that was verse 13. So 2 Samuel seven thirteen, and and 14. So 13 says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And 14 says, I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him. So yeah, that's right here in the midst of this passage. Yes, he's talking to David. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Solomon is the the near fulfillment. Christ is the, the far fulfillment. All right, well, let's jump down a little bit and look at verse 21, same passage, uh, 2 Samuel seven twenty-one, And notice here that um, David now is, is talking and he is really establishing the fact that all this is for the glory of God. All that God is doing for David is for God's glory. He says, for the sake of your word, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. And jumping down to 23, he says, And what one nation on earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land. Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. So, He's doing all these things for himself. He redeemed Israel out of Egypt for himself. He's um, doing this for the sake of his word. 24 says, For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. So this is uh, a unique uh, understanding, I guess, of our specific hermeneutic. The way that we approach Scripture is we see that God is absolutely working all things together for his glory. 
Uh, other people will kind of narrow that in a little bit and say, God works for his own glory in the salvation of others. And to that we would say, yes and amen, that God is glorified when people come to him and when people are saved. However, I think it's a little bit more broad than that. Um, I think that God is demonstrating his glorious sovereignty in everything that he does and how he deals with all nations, including Israel, but not just Israel, and how he deals with the church as well as with unbelievers, that God is glorified when he is working out salvation through his grace and his mercy. And God is also glorified when he exercises his wrath and his judgment on people. And so God is, is glorified in all these different aspects. Again, as we've talked about before, that God is doing many different things at the same time. And um, it's a little bit selfish for us to, to put ourselves at the center of that and say that everything that God is doing is only for um, the salvation of the lost so that he could be glorified. He's glorified in a, a number of other ways. All right, so we started by talking about how this covenant that God made with Adam is not really a covenant, right? Um, it's stipulations that God gave to Adam, and, and that's it. And there are consequences of that and results of that for sure, that yes, Adam disobeyed God. We would agree with that, that yes, Adam sinned. Yes, Adam uh, transgressed the commandment that he was given. That doesn't make it a covenant even though there are repercussions that lead to us and we are in Adam and we receive the, um, the punishment for his disobedience. That's not a covenant. And we looked at, in, especially with the Abrahamic covenant, these oath obligations and how God uses this covenant language when he is making covenant with people. And you might notice if you look up through our passage in 2 Samuel, we don't really see that word. We don't see that term covenant. We don't see God saying, I'm making an oath for you. I'm, I'm setting out, these are the stipulations. These are what I'm going to do. Uh, we see aspects of that, but we don't see that kind of covenant language here in the text. So I want to go and look at a couple of other places where we do see this promise that God made to David uh, reiterated with that language, with that verbiage of covenant. So could I get somebody to go to 2 Samuel 23, 5? Who's got 23.5 of 2 Samuel? All right, Logan. And here we're going to see, um, this is a, a song of David. And in this song, he's going to reference this as a covenant. Uh, could I get somebody else to go to 2 Chronicles 21.7? Who's got that passage? 2 Chronicles 21.7. Ellie? All right, and then one more for Jeremiah 33, 19 through 26. Who's got Jeremiah? 33, 19 through 26. All right. Logan, you have 2 Samuel 23, 5. What does that say? All right, so there, David, talking again, doesn't only refer to this as a covenant, but as an everlasting covenant. Remember that these are forever promises that God made to David concerning his house, his dynasty, the kingdom, and the throne. And here he calls it a covenant. What about uh, 2 Chronicles 21.7? 
I've got one more here for us in Second Chronicles 7.18. That verse says, um, this is God talking to Solomon. It says, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David. And Second Chronicles 21.7. destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. All right. Good. Yeah, he wasn't going to destroy that. He said, no, this is, um, this is tied to my name, to my integrity. This was a forever covenant that he made with David. And then uh, we get the same kind of uh, picture in Jeremiah 33. And notice what he is comparing the covenant of David to in Jeremiah 33. He's using some illustrations. You have that, Evelyn? Jeremiah 33, 19 through 26. All right. So, what does God compare his covenant to in that passage? His covenant with David. Yeah, he says, you want to make the moon stop? You can, you can end my covenant with David, right? If my covenant with the sun ceases, then my covenant with David will cease. So, essentially saying, it's going nowhere, right? That it's going to continue. And he mentions these two families going back up here to Abraham and David. The covenant that God made with Abraham saying, you're going to have descendants forever. I'm, I'm going to do it. It's an unconditional covenant. Same here with David. It's an unconditional covenant that God is going to do. And he is uh, so confident that it's going to happen that he ties it in with the, the sun and the moon and the covenant that God has made with the sun and the moon. And he specifically mentions the offspring of Jacob. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And we'll see a lot more of that as we go on. But uh, just recognizing God made this covenant with a, a specific people and he's going to fulfill it in a specific way. Let's go to one last passage for tonight. Let's turn to Psalm 89. And here we get a lot more insight into this covenant that God made with David. And we'll even see that, that language of covenant here. Also, we'll see that 
Um, this is, once again, an, an everlasting covenant. Several times throughout this passage, we'll see forever or to all generations. And we'll see uh, language like covenant or sworn that he has established them. Um, these, um, these aspects of the Davidic covenant. So keep these in mind as we're going through that David is going to have a house, a kingdom, and a throne. So starting off in Psalm 89, verse 1, says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord. This is a, a masculine of Ethan, the Esherite. So this isn't, uh, this isn't David talking here, but it's a, about David. So uh, verse 1, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness, that word that Stacy likes, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant, there it is, with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Oh, let's jump down to, to verse 19, actually. Once you spoke in visions of your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from my people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness affect him, afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, or his uh, preeminent, the, the highest ranking one, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. Are you guys seeing that language of forever and continually and to all generations? And you're seeing how it's talking about his descendants, the descendants of David and his throne as long as the days of heaven. Anything else you guys are seeing in the, that passage about this covenant, this promise, this oath that God made with David? We're seeing some of what David pointed out towards the, the tail end of Second Samuel 7, that God is doing this for his glory, that he is doing it because of his faithfulness, because of his loving kindness, because of his namesake, so that he can show that he is indeed faithful, not just to uh, David, but going back even further, as we just looked at, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. God has made these promises. It's continuing on down the line uh, through Jacob and um, into Judah, and then through David. This promise continues. All right. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 30. We're going to see a little bit more of this says, if his sons forsake my law, so again, we're seeing a, a conditional aspect here for the sons. We saw this back in Second Samuel 7, um, 
talking about, well, when he sins, this is how I'm going to handle him. That was the, the near fulfillment for Solomon. So if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. So we're seeing two things or an acknowledgement that um, people are going to sin, right? Sinners going to sin. And David's sons are going to do the same thing. They're going to fall away. They're going to break these commandments and they're not going to walk in his judgments. They will be punished, but that's not going to change the, the loving kindness of God. It's not going to change the, the faithfulness of God. 34, it says, my covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendant shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, it shall be established forever, like the moon, and the witness of the sky is faithful. So he's going to, to extra lengths here, just to say forever, forever, until the, the sun fades away, right? It's not something that's going to happen. He ties this directly to his name. I will not lie to David. Uh, we have to realize that if God were to break or to alter these covenants, uh, he said in 34, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips, then what we're doing is we're saying that God isn't faithful, right? He said he's not going to lie to David. And for us to take and, and twist and manipulate these covenants um, to say that they're, they're not valid today or they've in, somehow in some form been changed, uh, we are altering the, the character and the nature of God, his um, veracity to speak the truth. And I'll read one more section, then we'll wrap up. You have something, Jeremy? <laughs> but no? Okay. <laughs> All right, so 38, we see the, um, the speaker change here. Um, it's the, the psalmist seeming to be talking here. It says, But you, speaking to the Lord, have cast off and rejected. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown in the dust. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You also turn back the edge of the sword and have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have shortened the days of his youth. You have covered him in shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember what my span of life is, what for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, O Lord, the reproaches of your servant, how I, will, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And so the psalmist here, after talking about God's great faithfulness and these 
this forever promise that God has made with David. He seems to kind of turn a corner here in verse 38 and say, but I'm, I'm not seeing that. I'm looking around and it seems like Israel is, is struggling, that the throne has been cast down to the ground. That's so clearly what God foretold that this son will, will sin and, and be in disobedience, that Solomon will, will go on and sin. This has taken place by this point, and this psalmist is kind of grasping the, the tension of this covenant, saying, well, God, you made these promises, and, and yet yeah, I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm not seeing the, the son of David ruling on the throne. I'm not seeing this kind of victorious... Uh, just victory, I guess, in the house and kingdom and throne of David. And so we'll look at that a, a little bit next week and see where this promise, where this covenant goes after, um, after Solomon and following that. Any thoughts or questions before we wrap up? All right. Quiet tonight. I'm tired too. <laughs> yeah. And we'll spend a few more weeks doing it, I'm sure. So it's good stuff to see. This is the, the foundation for King Jesus sitting on the throne of David. Uh, lots of stuff all throughout the rest of Scripture that is really rooted and, and founded here in Second uh, Samuel 7. This is a, a key covenant that God makes with David that we'll see throughout the rest of the, the Bible. All right, I'll pray and we'll get home. God, we thank you again that you are a Lord, you are a King, that you are faithful to your promises, that your, your, your words can't be changed. They, um, they can be taken to the bank. God, we thank you that we do have these forever promises in Scripture, that we know that you are faithful, that you are just, that you will do what you have said that you have done, that you will... Um, Prove yourself to be faithful. God, help us to, to love you, to serve you well, to, um, to go from this place realizing that we serve the King of kings. We serve, serve the Lord of lords, and you have all authority in heaven and on earth. I pray this in your name. Amen.